Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to a Saturday, July 1st, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Can't believe it's already July, but we are here in July. And because it is the weekend, you know what that means. A lot of local coverage here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, which means we got Go Big Orange Friday kicking things off here on a two-parter popping up here on a Saturday. Actually, we're going to have a three-parter. We're going to have this with Go Big Orange Friday with Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Schumpert, um, also Rocky Top Insider and Always College Football's Jack Foster to talk all things Tennessee Volunteers. Bunch of off-season questions that we got into pertaining to Tennessee football. And then, of course, Tennessee baseball cleaning up uh, in the portal with uh, Peebles and Nate and all those dudes coming through and maybe another big name popping up this weekend. So we shall see on that front. But Milton, wide receivers, offensive line, Joshua Joseph, Squirrel White, all that and more coming up here on the first part of today's show yeah we got a lot of diff- lot of content coming your way here on the chase Thomas podcast so look out for that here uh over the course of the weekend uh this holiday weekend and hope you guys are having a great start to your holiday weekend as you are tuning in to this very program all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Go Big Orange Friday podcast here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, everything school HQ. People don't forget the most ambitious NIL program, apparently. Shout out to Spire Sports this week, we found. It just, the hits keep on coming. Just, the hits keep on coming. Georgia, Bama, they're all running scared. Some people want to be championships at life, some people want to be championships of college football. I'd like to be championships of the NIL sphere. That's what I've yeah. always said. That is uh, that is what I've always said on this very program. Uh, to talk all things Tennessee athletics on this very show, Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider is here. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. And, yeah, I mean, that was a great lead-in. Who, who would want to be the two-time defending <laughs> football national champions when you could be the – on three's back-to-back winner of the most ambitious two two championships for Spire Sports, most ambitious NIL collective in court, according to On Three Sports. Which I don't even know what that means. What what makes it the most ambitious? <laughs> I don't I don't know what that actually means. But it's good. It can't be bad. Like it's got to be good. Yeah, it's a net positive. Like you don't want to not be in that. Top the only 10. person who probably doesn't like it is Danny White. Hmm. Interesting. Got to okay. fight for that money somewhere. There you go. Um, Jack Foster, also here of Always College Football, Rocky Top Insider. Jack, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Love the late night podcast vibes here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a night owl, so this is right at my wheelhouse. How so late are you going to be up tonight, Jack? What's what's it looking like for you? Okay, well, I had two cups of coffee, one this morning, one at like 12, and then I had a Celsius at like 6, so we'll see. You'll be all right. I've never had a Celsius. Does it actually wake you up? Is Celsius pretty? Is it a is it a pretty noticeable jerk or jolt? Yeah. It's a um, big yawn. I might have to I might have to break it open. Oh it's, wow! It's more. It's That's not as immediate. Ryan. I think. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Like Are, Celsius is, is a not as immediate as a monster. Like when I drink a monster, it hits me immediately. But really, Celsius is the healthiest energy drink out there. So I'm trying to get more into that. Less monster. Hold on. So you're doing monster and coffee. No, I, oh yeah, coffee and an energy drink definitely, but I don't do two different types of energy drinks during the day. Never do that. Okay, I was gonna say that's just. That's, I'm not a psychopath. Uh, we would have to have a conversation here. That's a it's a lot <laughs> no, going I'm on. Like Ryan just, I, I don't just start with a uh, an inter- intervention. Intervention. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine getting into Let's someone? Put the podcast on hold. What are you doing, Jack? <laughs> I mean, could you imagine getting in someone's car and they have a unopened monster and a coffee cup sitting right <laughs> next to each other? That's like I'm immediately, immediately having a conversation well, where it's like, what's going on? It's not how productive are you trying to be? Who do we need to talk to? Like, why do you think you're not getting enough caffeine? How many milligrams are we looking at each? Like, did you just listen to a Dan Campbell podcast recently? Like, what what is the deal? Because another guy where I'm like, when y'all know his order, right? Like his yeah. craziest bread. I just no. I love coffee, but I keep track of my uh, milligrams because I used to be six cups a day person throughout the day. Wow. You don't want to go over 600. Well, so I'm back to 400. I try to stick to four. 
Well, we're at, quick story where I worked in high school, uh, fast food kitchen. All these guys are just pounding three bangs, three rains a day. That's 300 a pop. So that's <laughs> six to 900 milligrams a day for those guys. And I'm over here on the white monster and, you know, that's nothing compared to a bang of rain, but that's how it got me started on it. So I'm not quite that level. If I get that level, maybe an intervention is needed, but not there yet. So you, you said on the, like in a restaurant staff, right? Kitchen? Yeah, fast food. Oh, yeah. Kitchen. Like I, yeah. as a longtime bartender in my 20s. No, yeah, that's yeah. that's par for the course. That's a lot of, lot of energy drinks. Oh, yeah. um, a lot of, and, lot of caffeine there. And there's a gas station right next to the restaurant I worked at. So mm. it's like easy access all day long. They had deals on monsters like two for four. Great. Mm. My father-in-law probably drinks the most amount of caffeine and coffee and sugar. I've, like, uh, quick story, and I promise folks we'll talk Tennessee. But <laughs> I got, I knew he liked a lot. This is when, like, Sam and I uh, have been dating for maybe about a year. And I got in a sense of, like, how much coffee he, or how much sugar he liked in his coffee. Because I drink it black, and I've always drank coffee black. And Old he uh, puts in not to brag but i drink it black and he puts in a lot a lot of sugar and creamer and we like i thought i was so proud at my duncan order i got him. we were meeting him somewhere and i was like for like i remember it i was like i'm putting a lot in there let's get a lot of c- creamer a lot of sugar and it's gonna be right it's gonna be a big hit he like almost spit it out when i get into him where he was like it's too bitter like there was a lot in there it was not even close it was it was he wasn't even close. This so is the guy I need full... to start drinking coffee with. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> like, what needs to get me on the call. I can't. I have been unsuccessful getting on the coffee train. This seems like the guy. He, I need he to... probably is. He yeah. is I'm a telling... legend for it. But it, it always cracks me up thinking about it because I thought I, I was so sure I'd nailed it and wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. Just yeah, we're all built different, and I'm. Uh, he is built in a legendary way. Um. Y'all, we have some Vols football I want to parse through before we get into some baseball to wrap here because there were a lot of transfers. Speaking of NIL, a lot of transfers coming into Tennessee uh, this week. Probably some breaking in the next hour because Tony Vitello would like Ryan Shepard to be working through the night, uh, as you as as Ryan knows on this very show. What's the latest Greg said you work, Jack? Is, is he a night owl or are you only a day? No, that is all afternoon job with okay. Greg the main producer of the show and Greg each have um, a pair of kids under five. So they go to bed around nine 30. There you go. So no news, no, like I need you to chop this up. There you go. You're protected. Um, I like it. I want to do this fun game where we have the Vols biggest summer storylines that I've been thinking about and a couple different questions here and uh, get y'all's feedback on this. And I think it's something that a lot of other Tennessee fans have um, been thinking about too. And something that I've noticed this summer that's picking up, and there's probably not a more divisive conversation when it comes to Tennessee um, than this very one, Jack. But in your estimation, do you think it's good or bad that Joe Milton is getting a lot of off-season hype? That there's this the Manning Passing Academy, that people are talking themselves into him being this year's Anthony Richardson, that he's going to be a top five pick if he makes it through the year because his measurables are going to be awesome and he's going to have the big-time throws. And this offense, it's really hard to have a bad quarterback in this offense. And he's been here for so long. Heupel's targeted him since he was back at Mizzou. Yeah. Like, is that all good or is that ultimately just going to make this that much more painful when the actual games start coming out? I think it's overall a good thing. And, you know, okay. any publicity is good publicity is what they say. But I think the angle of this question is more geared toward, you know, Joe Milton not letting it all go to his head, right? I feel mm-hmm. like that would be every Tennessee fan's worry with this. And given the fact that Joe Milton's already had a chance and – yeah, he pretty much squandered it, didn't play too well. And then, yeah, I know he got injured in the pit game, but he got replaced by Hennon Hooker. I think he knows this is his second chance, and this is his only chance now to, you know, make it happen. So, and he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to let it all go to his head. I don't think he's going to be affected by it. Now, Tennessee fans, they have a probably more realistic expectation of what Joe Milton is going to be than the casual because you know, casual sees Joe Milton throwing a 75-yard pass in the Manning Passing Academy. Oh, my gosh, he's one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in all of college football. This dude's going to light it up. Whereas the Tennessee fans have seen what Joe Milton can be and how bad he can be. So I think every Tennessee fan is going to have a certain tempered expectations, some more than others, of course. 
but I think it's overall a good thing. I don't see a lot of bad things about it. And even if Tennessee wins seven games this season, Joe Milton's pro day next year still still going to be, you know, highly sought after by all these scouts and stuff. Even if Tennessee's bad, it's not going to change Milton's wow factor, if you will. I feel like if Tennessee's bad, Milton didn't play the whole year because they had to turn to a true freshman. The season kind of got off the rails. Injuries happen. Like, I just feel like this ceiling or the floor for Heupel's teams is still very high. Like, I think it's yes, all, it's I agree. damn near impossible to have a bad offense in what Tennessee does. Like, I was uh, I forgot who it was that I was reading um, or listening to. I think it was Split Zone Duo. Um, they were talking about Heupel's offense for a little bit. And what the, I think they said, like, a coach told them, if I remember correctly, was just that, like, the reason that Tennessee is always going to be a pain in the ass is because you can't really prepare for it week over week you can't prep for the tempo you can't prep for the matchup issues you can't like it's like a modern triple (laughs) in a way where it's just it's really hard to practice for that and get it like week over week and it's really hard to deal with it if they have better matchup guys than you have like if they're better dudes out wide if their quarterback knows how to do what he's supposed to do at the bare minimum they're just going to have advantages and they're just going to be able to do stuff week over week it doesn't matter really who it is um which i thought was interesting and probably something that would help but what do you think ryan on the joe the joe milton yeah i would tend to say it's a bad thing but like if we're going to talk about on like a scale from negative 10 to 10 on its impact i mean it's like a negative one or two i don't think it's Mm. really actually a bad thing i would just it doesn't mean anything and good all publicity is good publicity i think i guess that's probably a fair take but it doesn't actually matter. And I would tend to go on the side of putting more pressure on him uh, and raising his expectations. You know, I don't think if he doesn't, I mean, we, just what you just talked about is floor and ceiling is so far apart. Uh, if he plays closer to that floor, I, I think that lends to things being worse and maybe more toxic. And, and look, Jack's right. The Tennessee fans have seen Joe Milton when it's bad, but the calendar is about to turn to July folks. And, Fans are going to buy into every good thing they read about their team in the next two months. And as much good publicity and hype nationally as Joe Milton gets, or if he gets that, people will buy in. And I'm not saying that that completely discounts what Jack says, because I think there will be a hesitance from people. Uh, but again, I don't think it's really a big deal. It's not something that you should be like rooting against, but I would say maybe more of a slight negative than it is a positive. I don't remember the same kind of buzz for Hendon last year. Like, I don't remember the same kind of conversation. It's just, yeah. It's a less type of buzz because it's not flashy. Yeah. You know, Hinton wasn't turning heads by the way he's playing. He was just a really good quarterback who elevated his game, mm. you know, as a as a fifth-year senior. But, you know, Joe's just got the arm. That's what's going to happen. Everything's clickbait nowadays in media. You know, hey, look at this guy. He can throw it country miles. So, mm. I mean, that's why it's all happening. The media's pushing it because it generates numbers. It's all, it's all a numbers game with that as far as it goes. But... Go back to my thing. The only thing this negatively in- impacts is the casuals' mm. bank accounts because when they go put that bet on Joe Milton winning the Heisman at plus 2,500 right now, it's not going to hit. So they're going to lose that money. Mm. But as far as expectations from Tennessee fans, as far as Joe's mentals, I don't see it being a big negative here. I just – the thing about it is when it comes to Joe and Ryan, you know this better than most on how I feel about how this will ultimately go. But, like, I mean – not a lot of success stories about quarterbacks who've been benched twice at two power five stops and then getting a third chance. There's, we don't have a lot of history here. We're in uncharted waters in a lot of ways uh, with this experience, but it's also like, I, I think the biggest thing I see on Twitter that people are just in, have not watched Jim Milton down the stretch last year was the accuracy stuff where people are really concerned. The people who like doubt Joe this year, it's like, Oh yeah, he has a cannon, but he's an act it's like, no that wasn't an issue he threw zero picks he had what 10 tds no picks and you watch the clemson game yeah. and you watch the vanderbilt game it wasn't an accuracy issue the down the downfield stuff was clean like i think he'll be fine hitting squirrel and dante and Ramel downfield like i don't i'm not worried about him air mailing stuff like he was doing the first two weeks in, a, in the pick game that we were all losing our minds for i don't think that's ultimately what makes this thing stumble what makes the thing stumble and i think what a lot of national folks are missing with joe is hendon was so good at doing stuff when things broke down and when leaving the pocket, when the, the when things went away, when that first read wasn't there, Hendon made something out of nothing. Joe took a lot of bad sacks in that Clemson game. There were a lot of three and outs in that game. And you forget about it because there were the big plays. He had the bombs, but like 
That was not a clean game from Joe Milton. He just won't throw picks. Like, it's two things to be true. I think he could have a good completion percentage. I think he can run the offense 80%, 70% of what Hendon did. But I think the little things that will be the difference between they win 10 games again versus eight comes down to not throwing picks, not accuracy. It's holding onto the ball too long, taking bad sacks, going three and out and putting the defense in bad spots. Little things like that, maybe running out of the bounds when he shouldn't run out of bounds. Like, just what he does under pressure at Florida. Like, what he does in tight games. Like, there's just, those are the concerns I have. It's not accuracy and, like, when people just laugh at the deep ball. And I'm like, I think he's actually going to have a good deep ball this year. I would be surprised if Joe Milton's deep ball is actually not one of the best in college football. The example, or the phrase, story, however you want to say it, that I keep using to talk about it is, you know, we, we, you know, all through the weeks in the football season are going through listening to opponents, head coach, defense coordinator, all that stuff's press conference, looking for content. And you hear, you know, talking about Tennessee, you hear the same talking points over and over again last year. You got to get your feet in the ground, to not give up the big plays in the tempo and keep everything in front of you and make them earn it. Well, if hitting hooker, that was that wasn't a good strategy. I mean, besides Georgia, Tennessee could go seven, eight, ten plays down the field, running it short passes, Hooker converting on third downs, making plays with his legs. They could beat you in so many different ways. That's where I don't think Tennessee's offense is going to be nearly as good unless the running game is just really, really good. And I do think it will be good, uh, but it's not going to be really good. I mean, even the Clemson game, which was by far, I mean, by far the best game. We haven't seen Joe Milton play a college football game even close to as good as he played against Clemson. All Tennessee's four scoring drives, huge plays that got him into the red zone, huge plays they scored touchdowns on. They didn't. And Clemson's a really good defense. So, I mean, you're talking about an upper echelon of a team Tennessee will play this year and face. Tennessee could not sustain drives. And I think that's where a lot of what defenses tried to do to Tennessee last year. Now, it's all easier said than done. Kentucky talked about it all week. They gave up a 70-yard bus play, third play scrimmage, and then two more in the game. So it's all easier said than done anyway to stop the big play. Uh, but if you can do that, I, I think Tennessee will have a lot more <laughs> issues offensively this year. Yeah, and those type of throws that you're talking about, Hinden make, and you know Chase, you talked about escape pressure and just having that it factor, right? I think those are the throws, kind of echoing Chase's sentiment that we've seen Joe struggle with those mm. intermediate throws, those throws on the sideline, right? So yeah, those still worry me a little bit, but I just think Tennessee's offense is going to change, not drastically by any means, but a little bit to where it will really. Be- try to benefit Joe's game they're going to run the ball a lot more I still think they're going to try and get the ball out quicker and they may have to because the offensive line may be a liability but it's going to be the deep ball it's going to be easy throws in the middle of the field to where if Joe can just you know not put too much zip on it will be easy to make I don't think they're going to complicate things too much for it's kind of terrifying to think about what the offensive line might look like next year like I don't know if Tennessee fans are ready for this but if you look at what it might like if you really look at what it might be with Mincy on one side maybe Campbell comes back then you're looking at Addison Nichols, who might not play until then. Cyretic, Bison Lang, maybe some transfers. Like, we're already Not questioning. maybe some transfers, some transfers. Yes, I mean, yes, yeah, because you're going to lose a lot. But I don't know. I'm, I'm very curious about what the offensive line looks like this year and especially next year. Um, but building off what you were saying with the offense might change, Jack, do you think it behooves the Vols to expand – they're running back and wide receiver rotation in game. Something we haven't seen Hypel do through two weeks, but or two seasons. But now that you have a lot more depth in both spots, do you think it's something that has to be adjusted in year three as you keep a lot of these guys happy um, and make sure they stick around? Because I think you're going to really need the Caleb Webbs and Chaz Nimrods of the world to be around next year. No, that's a very good point on the portal, and I'll get to receivers in a minute. But with the running backs, I think you have to have a three-headed monster if you want to be an elite offense this year. And what Dylan Sampson showed last year, he has to have a big role. And he may end up having a big role anyway due to injury. Small and Wright have struggled with health during their times at Tennessee, but you got to make sure that those running backs get close to equal playing time. I think Small will have a more defined role, and Wright will be more of the main guy. But I want to see more Dylan Sampson. He was super explosive. And outside of Jalen Hyatt, arguably the most explosive player in Tennessee's offense last season. So I want to see more Dylan Sampson. I want to see more of an equal timeshare for all three of those running backs. And then the receivers, you know, I I don't think it has to go too deep. You're right about the transfer portal and making sure those guys stay happy. But, you know, I I think you just got your guys. Those top four will get the most time, and then the other guys will see minimal playing time. But those four I feel pretty comfortable with. So nothing crazy. I mean, they'll have more of a rotation than last year, but nothing 
like six, seven deep consistently, I don't think. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, on receiver, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think it's going to be for sure four deep, but, you know, what does Chaz Nimrod or Caleb Webb or Nathan Leacock, do I really see them getting a ton more playing time? Not really. You know, maybe be a little more aggressive if you're up two touchdowns against Missouri or, you know, somebody in SEC play in the second half of getting those guys some yeah. run. But I go back to what I've said on here in our RTI podcast going into last season, going into this season. You're playing Alabama and Georgia. Tell me you want to take Ramel Keaton. You want to take Brew McCoy out of the game. Because I, I don't want to. I didn't want to take Jalen Hyatt out of the game. I didn't want to take Cedric Tillman out of the game. And, I mean, it's great to talk about in the offseason your depth, but that's much harder said than done. And then a running back, I think Jack hit the nail on the head. I think what's going to be interesting is – it feels like Wright and Sampson need to be the guy to get the two most or get more carries, the two most carries on the team. Do they really do that, you know, with Small? Because Small could very much have a defined role of being a short yardage back in a uh, red zone back. But at the same time, again, that's something else that's much easier said than done. Tennessee goes fast. You're not Southern before third and one. Whoever's in the game is getting the ball. So that's- I just have a hard time thinking they're really going to – maybe minimize Small's role in the way that it kind of just fits into a, a clean box or something like that. So to me, that'll be interesting, but I think Jack gets nail in the head. I mean, I've been a huge Jalen Wright guy. I think he's the best running back. And after seeing what Dylan Sampson did last year, it's hard not to think he needs to be getting more and more touches too. And Cam Seldon's going to play. Like you see the stuff. Like he's just, he's going to have to get spots. Kinda, like, I think he's, he's got to learn the offense first. Uh, yeah, he, he's a freak and he's going to play here and there, but I don't know. Better be on the kickoff returns or prison for the special teams coach as Ryan before I can before (laughs) I can confidently say Cam Seldon is going to have a noticeable impact in important Mm -hmm. games for Tennessee football this year. I need to watch fall camp and he needs to not be confused pre-snap. That's pretty much. Sorry, I saw all I needed to see in the orange and white game. He's in, coach. Put him in. That's all I needed. It's all I need. Uh, Hey, there you go. Uh, Like gas him up, man. Um, Ryan. Which offensive lineman do you think needs to have the biggest year for Tennessee to succeed? Who is it? Who's the most important offensive lineman? John Campbell, Gerald Mincy. Take your pick. You got to pick one. Who do you think is actually more important there that they work out? I guess you could say Campbell because he's going to play the left side. But to me, it's just one of them needs to be good so they can help out on the other side. I mean, it's what we talked about last year. They were much worse at left tackle than the common fan would know. Darnell Wright was so good. They didn't have to worry about him at all mm-hmm. so you just need one of those guys again Campbell would probably be the better one on the left side you know traditionally more important position I think his ceiling's probably higher than Mincy but you just need one of those guys to be good so you're not having to like Jack said really focus on getting the ball out quick or, or doing gymnastics to try to protect Joe it's also would be nice to not have to have the tight end inside at all times this year because yeah. that might be something to jot down is like how many times you see Jacob Bourne and McAllen Castles right next to John Campbell or Gerald Mincy in the offense <laughs> where it's like they're not running any routes without chipping uh, the edge and helping out a little bit because I could see that I could see a lot and the running trusted. back on the other side yeah yeah hopefully not Dylan Sampson uh, he yeah. almost got uh, hinted he learned from it though year. yeah so maybe he's better maybe he's better what do you think Jack do you think it's Campbell or Mincy? Uh, probably Mincy. I think he, you have higher expectations of him this year than you would John Campbell. But yeah, it's it's the tackle spot. I mean, that's the biggest concern I think at any position for Tennessee this season. So, you know, you're gonna have to have one of those guys be good, and I think the one would be Mincy. And then outside of that, if Tennessee's gonna have an elite running game, I don't think it has to be a big step. But you know, you want to see Mays and Spragans elevate their game to another level. And you know, Spragans has been mocked in the first round, I think, a couple of times of what I've seen, 2024. So if he can become a legit, like he's already legit, but a really good inside guy, you know, it'll, it'll help Tennessee's offense too. But I mean, ultimately, the answer to this question is the tackle spot, and I'd say Mincy. And Austin Price of Allquest makes a good point about this, where it's like Cooper is a quiet linchpin to this team like there's no depth behind cooper mace and cooper's been banged up like it's not like yeah you're gar- like he's a warrior and if he goes down like who's who's snapping the ball to joe like who is it as nichols well that's like, yeah I I mean, that's why i'd say, yeah, I'd say so yeah i mean he's to me i think addison nichols is gonna win the other guard spot and he didn't take a snap at guard that we saw at least in the yeah. spring because they're training him to be that guy so uh, i agree with your sentiment that that's 
worrisome is probably not the right word, but you know, something you kind of have to raise an eyebrow at and be it gets a little me a bit big concerned game. about. Yeah, but I do think that's the definitive answer right now. Yeah. That's fair. Um, Jack, uh, which defensive lineman needs to have the biggest year for Tennessee to succeed? Who is it for you? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll go one of the pass rushers. I mean, I know Brian and I have talked about this, but Josh Joseph's primed for mm. a big year, I think, and he's, you know, you want to have a Byron Byron Young-esque player, mm. and I think the combination of Joshua Joseph's and Roman Harrison. Roman Harrison's a guy that doesn't get talked about enough, and he was a bad dude in some games last year. I think All he'll steal. be big for Tennessee this season as well. But the combination of Josh Joseph's and Roman Harrison, you know, the interior guys – Bryson Eason, Amari Thomas, you kind of know who they are. It's not someone you go to your friends and be like, hey, we got Amari Thomas, we got Bryson Eason on our team, but those guys are fine. They haven't let Tennessee down. I don't think they're not a liability at all. And you kind of know what Tyler Barron is at this point. So I think it's that other pass rusher, whether that's Harrison or Joshua Joseph, the combination is my answer here. Interesting. What about you, Ryan? Do you share it? Is it Joshua Joseph for you? Yeah, it is definitely Joshua Joseph's. <laughs> Joshua Joseph's. And, uh, just because it needs to be a pass rusher. And I agree with you and your sentiment that Roman Harrison's probably a little bit underrated, but he's another guy. I think we kind of know who he is. He's been, again, he was better last year, but pretty similar in production Mm. uh, and pretty similar roles. Now he'll have a bigger role this year, I think, but pretty similar roles over the last at least two years. Um, So I would agree probably Joseph's Uh, to me, Amari Thomas, it, it just feels like he played at a, different gear or a different level early in the season and i i think if he can show some consistency uh you know maybe this isn't that's naive of me to think but i think he could could reach another level and be maybe not dominant but a, a really really good you know all sec caliber guy in the middle matthew butler caliber yeah i think that's a good compare i mean he's not what i loved about matthew butler and he's an all-time underrated ball of recent days he just played his heart out i mean he at old yeah. miss game Played like seventy five snaps. <laughs> and interior defense alignment, seventy five snaps. I mean, he he was just a dog. So I don't, you know, that's what always has made me have tremendous respect for Matthew Butler, and he was great with doing media stuff too. Always one of the better players on the team. Uh, so Amari Thomas probably not going to do that, but I think from like a production standpoint, I definitely could see him stepping up to it to what Matthew Butler did in his senior year. I think it's Tyler Barron for me. Can he can he do something? Can he finally? Can he, he find like? I think he quietly needs to have a big year because I think it's asking a lot still to put a lot on Joshua Josephs, Tyree West, uh, James Pierce. Like, they're rotation guys still at this point. It's going to be their show next year. Harrison's gone. Barron's gone. Like, I'm more interested in them next year. Like, this should be, like, we always are looking. It's always who's next. It's like, those are more four stars. Do you know who's a four star? 94 overall, like, compared to Tyrone Crawford, who's an NFL player with the Cowboys. Good player. It was Tyler Barron. Like, Tyler Barron is big. He is someone that has flashed. He's sh- never like Tennessee he, loses the pit game without him last year. But that's what I'm saying. Like he just yeah. needs to be a game wrecker. Like he needs to be yeah. the anchor of that defensive line. He needs to help because Jack on the pod last week we were talking about like the biggest thing to keep this. I mean, if not if Wesley Walker, PFF's favorite safety, has anything to say <laughs> about it. But like the biggest way to help this secondary if they play a lot of the same guys from last year is the pass rush take a step forward. And I think that yeah. actually starts with. Tyler Barron, because he's going to get a lot of snaps. He's going to get a lot of opportunities, and you kind of really need him to pop and generate a lot of pressure. I mean, with Byron Young gone, who was really your only go-to guy off the edge uh, that you could count on, and he was he was good, but he wasn't like he wasn't Will Anderson or uh, he victimized anybody. offensive tackles that were very overwhelmed by the athleticism. Yeah. He disappeared would be overdramatic, but he yeah. was pretty ineffective against a lot of good teams. Yeah. But, hey, good for him. Like, he made it. Great story. Love Byron. Great Young. story. Yeah. Great VFL. And he was, I mean, I, I say good teams. That was probably a little demeaning because he played fantastic against LSU. Yeah. Grant was a backup offensive tackle, but LSU was a really good team. And Kentucky, obviously, was known for a horrible offensive line, but they were all right. I was going to say they were pretty good, but they, you lose to Vanderbilt. I Their offensive tackle good. transferred to Florida, right? Isn't Keontae Goodwin? Isn't he starting at Florida? That sounds nice. Sounds right. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Byron Young's not not back for that game. I know. 
but it's just going to hurt that much more. A bad Florida offensive line still beats Tennessee 17-13 in the swamp. Um, I really just don't think y'all want to do a pod with me if we're losing to Graham Mertz in the swamp um, with a bad offensive game. I, I think I might take the week off that week if that's what ends up happening there. Um, Ryan, year two player who should have the biggest expectations on this current team. So someone from the class last year who actually it's fair to have the biggest expectations of anyone. Yeah, I think when you phrase it like that, it's probably Squirrel White just Mm. because he was the most productive as a freshman. And, you know, he's probably going to split time in the slot with Dante Thornton. But, I mean, his game and his speed, it's just like a – Joe, there's no better quarterback for him than Joe Milton. So Mm. I think he'll put up big numbers. I still think that's a little bit more of a sure thing than Dylan Sampson. And then, I mean, this goes back to the last conversation, but if you're talking about – you could choose one second-year guy to have a big year, a big jump. It's Josh Joseph. Okay, I like it. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I agree with everything Ryan said there. I'll just build off the squirrel white take. If Tennessee's offense is going to be anywhere close to last season, squirrel, it's going to be because of squirrel white. Mm. Like He is going to be the guy. He's going to change games. He's going to be explosive. He's going to run short routes and get a lot of catches. He's going to be an above average SDC receiver if Tennessee's offense is going to be remotely close to last year. I know Dante Thornton's a good piece and he's going to have a good year, but Squirrel White could change Tennessee's offense as you look at it right now. If he elevates his game to another level and he's not a Bolitnikoff winner or anything like that, but if he's among one of the best SEC wide receivers, I think that could be really good for Tennessee's offense, of course. And I think he kind of has to be if Tennessee's offense is going to be like I said, anywhere close to as dangerous as last year's. I think it's fair. I think Squirrel is the the best answer. I think if you want to go, a, if you want to do a little bit of a stretch here, I think it's fair to say Dylan Sampson because Jabari's banged up. We saw flashes of Dylan, like we saw the two headed monster in the Vanderbilt game and what he's capable of. We know that he pat he hit beat Eddie Lacy's high school uh, rushing record right in Louisiana. Like he was quietly super. Pre- I think he did. I think he beat Eddie Lacy's high school record, um, and he's highly productive i'm still pretty high on dylan sampson but like you look at it jalen wright has a history of getting banged up um jabari small obviously has a history of getting banged up that i actually think there's a pretty good opportunity with how this offense looks that if you were to tell me dylan sampson led tennessee in i would say yards i like total yards just on the ground and through the air like a mini back just total yards and you told me at the end of the year it was dylan sampson i wouldn't be Florida. I wouldn't be either. Oh, wait, yeah. you would be Florida. I would, would not be. be. So I think yeah, you could throw either. him with the highest fair year two expectations. The yeah, we're talking about expectations, which is kind of lumped into the world with pressure, right? So yeah. the only reason I don't go Samson is because I mean, you talk about Cam Seldon's a freak. Deshaun Bishop has been raved about all spring. Mm. You know, the running back depth I feel like is there, and it's kind of easy for running back to succeed in Tennessee's offense. I mean, we've seen three stars have you know really good years, so. I feel like when you look at the receiver position, if Squirrel White is just kind of a normal guy and he's not, you know, a game changer or anything, who's going to be that guy for Tennessee? You know, Brew McCoy is has a tight end frame. Ramel Keaton is Ramel Keaton. I don't think Dante Thornton can be what Squirrel White could be, so that's why I lean White over Samson. That's fair. I will say too, when you talk about any running back can thrive, like. We uh, look Kenneth Whitehead. We never really saw because he was banged up and everything else, and moves on to Georgia. You look at like, him; he's on the field. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what Khalifa Keith looks like because, like, we haven't seen the bowling ball slow back. <laughs> yeah, like I'm curious it, how Hypel actually uses a back like that because, like, you we know you don't sub. So if he, use, I just want to see Prince somebody and like roll. say it again. Princeton fan roll. I mean, that's I guess that's the best case scenario, right? Is he's Princeton fan for a whole drive? Like, I don't know. I just, I'm curious when people are, when that's signing, I'm like, I actually don't know how he plays. I don't know how a bowling ball back, like a TJ Duckett from way back in the day with the Falcons, somebody like that, like Lindell White playing for, that's, that was for Ryan, a Lindell yeah, White playing a whole possession with Tennessee in the way they play. I just, I don't, not say it can't be done, but I'm very curious to see what it looks like if, I guess a year from now, when Khalifa Keith gets on the field for Tennessee, I want to see what that looks like um ryan transfer who doesn't hit will be who of all the transfers because not all of them are gonna hit one of at least one of these guys is not gonna do a thing for tennessee (laughs) this year and it's gonna bust who would you be most confident in not working out of the group 
probably Andrej Karic. Hmm. I mean, I just said it earlier. I mean, he's not going to – doesn't seem like he's going to be able to help him at tackle at all. you got two mm-hmm. interior spots locked up. I think Ollie Lane and Addison Nichols are both ahead of him, frankly, at the guard spot. So, he'll be nice for a depth piece. That's always good for offensive linemen, but I don't see him having any sort of sizable role. That's fair. I didn't cont- – I he wasn't a favorite of mine, but that, that is fair. Like, I don't know where he plays. Um, yeah. Jack, what about you? Is it Andre or is it somebody else? Well, if I think if John Campbell wins the left tackle role and he falls flat on his face against SEC competition, the, he'll be the answer because of what you'll remember yeah. from him. Andre Carriage yeah, could just never see the field. You just forget about him, and then he transfers yeah. next year or something. Like it is yeah, all good point. You know, it's kind of like what you see on the field and how you feel about that coming out of that game. So I feel like Campbell could disappoint, whereas Carriage could just be a non-factor. So it's yeah. kind of a different answer there. But that's yeah, fair. an offensive lineman. I mean, Omar Norman Lott. He looked good in the spring. He could be, you know, he could not contribute a lot, but I think he will a little bit. But he'll be a rotation he, guy. Yeah, it could be. I don't him, think he's going to do anything special, but he'll be. A but rotation that's the thing, guy. though. He has to be now. Terry's yeah. gone. Like you look at the defensive tackle yeah. depth. Suddenly, it's a little thin. Like you're looking, at you're it like, is. you better play. Like Omar's playing. Yeah, like, Omar coming. Simmons. Shout out to the wire. Yeah. He's coming. Like he's going to have to be on the field. <laughs> um. Also, last thing here, Gabe Judy Lally. Yeah, the mm. defensive back depth, there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of guys with a lot of experience who are looking to have good years this year. Maybe he just falls through the cracks and doesn't see the field a lot. You know, if you know, those I think we'll, would we all feel year, better if he starts over Kamal in week one? Are we all just I, like I, I quietly was, hoping it's Gabe and not Kamal starting against Virginia? Yeah, I would uh, I would say so. Mm. But it like, makes me nervous. I, mean, I guess the, num- the number one thing I want to see – and I don't think I'm going to get it. Is I just don't. It's really more like yeah, I don't want to see. It. Just don't make me watch Jalen McCullough for another a full other season. <laughs> that can't be something that they're allowed to do to you. But I don't know who plays. Is it Christian Charles? Yeah, you want Charles or Tarantine? Who you want there, Ryan? Uh, <laughs> like Christian I don't know Charles, who else you can play. Someone who doesn't run a a forty yard dash more than four <laughs> six would be my preference. Hey, whoever whoever that is. He wants white lightning at strong safety spot. That's that's who he wants. Jack Retro? Christian Charles is the idealized guy. Of uh, he had last year before he got hurt freshman year, and clearly corner was not the spot for him last year. So to me, that's the guy. Again, the options aren't great, which is why I said you're. I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna see a lot of Jalen McCullough again this year. But Charles is the guy. I think ideally, it, it's a perfect world, it's a somewhat realistic perfect world. There is a chance that the Florida game corner starting corners are Warren Burrell and Kamal had. In the year of 2023, that is not even close to being out of the question. I'm not sure there's ever been two football players who are more similar in skill and so far apart in their confidence. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Warren Burrell, man. I think he's probably a better player than we've seen. He just feels like he's so in his head and not confident, and that's corners of position you better be confident, not second-guessing yourself mm. at. And then had him just te- check the South Carolina tape to, to see his confidence <laughs> level. I mean, that's uh, – God, can you – I kind of just want to see what that looks like with them on each uh, – on two different sides. I don't even know how you call good, it. The good news is Graham Merce is going to be the guy throwing the rock for the other team. So That's true. Um – is eight and four a bad omen ultimately, Jack, if that's how the season goes? Like if eight and four is what ends up happening in year three for Hypel, is that a bad omen for where Tennessee is headed going forward? I think it's a bad thing if Tennessee goes eight and four, but I don't know if it's necessarily a bad omen, as in you should be worried about the future. Mm. But it is going to be a disappointment if Tennessee only wins eight games. They got the talent to win nine games, and they got scheduled to win nine games. I'm not afraid of Texas A&M. Definitely not afraid of Florida. I know it's a road game, but they're an absolute disaster right now. They may be like legitimately the worst team in the SEC East. It, it could happen. I don't, I'm yeah. not going to bet on that, but it could. So five the and a half wins. They're second worst uh, betting yeah. odds in the SEC going yeah. this year. Skill level on this team. If they only win eight games. That's a disappointment. I think the floor should be nine. But if they do, it's not a bad omen as far as Heupel's trajectory. That's He's already proven that's on the right track. What do you think, Ryan? Do you share it with Jack, or do you think it actually is a bad omen if they get it? This is a very un-Ryan Schumbert take, but I do think it's a bad omen. If we're talking 
if we're talking Tennessee's getting back to competing for national championships and maybe not on Georgia's level, but not too far behind, and they can beat Georgia every couple of years, and they're as good as anybody else in this 16-team SEC, which is kind of what you're talking about when, you know, the classic rule of SEC coaches, year two is the year. You find mm-hmm. out in year two what you got. And year two is pretty darn good for Tennessee, and there were a lot of factors that led into that. Uh, but if Tennessee takes a step back to eight and four, is that a reason to panic about Josh Heupel or think Josh Heupel is not going to be Tennessee's head coach for a decade? No. But if we're talking, all right, what we saw in year two wasn't just a flash in the pan or a really special season, but it's a building block and this becomes the new norm. Yeah, I, I kind of think it would be. Because to Jack's point in the schedule, Tennessee is not, or not worse than anybody other than Alabama and Georgia. Doesn't mean you're going to beat all of them. I'm not picking Tennessee to go ten and two, but I feel like the schedule works out pretty good. Florida is a disaster, as Jack said. Kentucky, I think, is probably going to be back to being eight and four, nine and three, good. But Tennessee's not going to be worried. A lot, a lot worse. Tennessee football teams have beaten good Kentucky teams than this year's team. And then Texas A&M coming off the bye week. Josh Heupel is fantastic off buys. The schedule, like it, it's very plausible, and I think the go ten and two again from a schedule standpoint. And if you go eight and four, not that it's inexcusable and not that it makes Josh Heifel a bad coach, but to me, that's a bad sign in thinking Tennessee is going to get back to competing for national championships. But here's my thing. When you look at it from a broad sense for Tennessee, isn't this kind of a transitional year? Because you got the five-star freshman quarterback waiting in the wings. Then you got this redshirt senior quarterback, fifth-year senior quarterback, whatever, trying to you know, make one last push to get drafted in the first couple rounds. I don't know. It, it, you could just look at this as a transitional year. I kind of think back to, you know, Clemson when they had Kelly Bryant. It they made the CFP because the ACC's a walk, but they were not a very good football team. And then they got blasted by Bama in the first game of the CFP. That was their transitional year. And then they had the freshman coming in next year. So, you know, if Tennessee goes eight and four, yeah, it's a huge disappointment given their schedule and roster. But I just don't think it's a big deal when you look at the future. I think eight and four is something that you circle. And then if things, if like kind of to your point, Ryan, where it's like you circle this and you jot it down where it's like, it's not the end of the world. But then if it's nine and three, nine and three after, then you're like, Oh, that was the inflection point. Like the eight and four was actually what told us where this thing was headed, which is like high floor. Like there's no five and seven, four and eight season from hell type of year. But like the ten and two, number one in the country, having the playoff right in front of you, if you take care of business down the stretch, that's not gonna be the norm. And this is the hardest part in sports is going from good to great. Like that yep. is the hardest thing to do. And Josh Heupel is now staring at that. Like they're not even in the blue chip ratio yet. Like they're not even there. So it's like he deserves more time. Like he walked into one of the worst power five situations any coach could have walked into two years ago. He's ahead of schedule by all accounts. That being said, like there still is a point where it's like, if we're going to recruit at this level, you're going to recruit at the top 10 ish level. You're going to have one of the most powerful NIL uh, constituencies. Ambitious. 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 Like you kind of have to, because you see it, but Vitello is right there. Like Vitello is knocking on the door year over year. Like, I think we can look at college baseball with Tennessee they're going to be knocking on the door year over year. Like, I think this is going to be part of the norm. Like you just saw an all sec final last three champions are sec teams, three different sec teams. Tennessee has been the best of the best in college baseball for a full calendar year. Like we have not seen that yet. We, they had the best roster and the best team at one point, they will have the best uh, recruiting class in 2024. Like they're in the next two to three years, they will have the best roster. I would guess in college baseball again, at some point and probably be the best team in the sport. Does that mean the title? I don't know, but it's sustainable. Like they are a sustainable elite program. Rick Barnes and is look even at- recruiting at that level. Like you're a top five team going into next year. You're taking advantage of the portal. You're taking advantage of getting the five-star guys every year when they're there. Like he has it sustainable. Like there is an expectation that they are a sweet 16 team or better year over year. Was last year breaking through the barrier for Barnes? Or do they go back to the round of 32 in a brutal loss? Was that an inflection point? Like, we're going to find that out with Rick Barnes with more talent and just an absolutely loaded best roster he's ever had at Tennessee. A lot of pressure on him. Heupel now is in an opportunity where you have so much talent coming in. You have this great offense. You have the five-star quarterback coming in right after the number one player and on three. I think eight and four signals to me something went horribly wrong in a couple games, that something is off, that 
it's like okay that <laughs> like you can't run into these buzz saws and you can't just kind of blow out the teams you should beat and then kind of hit this wall over and over again because fans will get tired of it and it just it shows that you're not gonna really get to that last level which is really really damn hard which is the elite sustainable 10 and 2 11 and 1 10 and 2 being the worst year over year and that being the expectation and that's just really really hard to get to and 8 and 4 would kind of signal in year 3 that maybe that's not where Tennessee can get to well I know fans view football vastly differently than basketball and baseball but you talked yeah. about being sustainable and how Barnes and Vitello have shown their programs can be sustainable at whatever mm-hmm. level they're sustainable at well how many years have they been head coach of their respective teams that's fair but what, that's what I'm saying is like five years. So it, like if yeah. two more years so of if, eight and four, then we're like, okay, well, okay, he's doing well, two a, years of eight and four is different than one year of eight and four with, yeah. Well, no, what I'm saying is like he was eight and four this year, and then nine and three for two years straight after that. I think that's just not going to work. I think that is enough that's to be fair. like, we're in the Dan Mullen zone at that point, where it's like this is not. See the thing. Yeah. The one thing I would be a a little bit different, and I agree with that generally speaking, but. I think the 12 team playoff, yeah, at least for a few years, has a, a possibility of changing people's perspective. Now, getting to the playoff once, cool. Getting to it twice, cool. Eventually, if you're not winning games and you're clearly outmatched, you're right. You're back to the Dan Mullen zone. But I do think the expanded playoff could buy, and it's a ridiculous statement to even say because Heifel's got all the leeway in the world after what he did. But just in the most radical, angry, high expectations fans' mind, I think that maybe you know buys him a few more years before people are like, "All right, we're not we're not going to get to the top of the sport." Yeah, he's got to be in the Lincoln Zone. He's got to be pumping out the Heisman quarterbacks, the five star quarterbacks over and over again. Fun offense, top ten offense year over year, and then hope that you get enough defensive linemen and uh, offensive tackle help that you're going to have that magical year. But but can we all agree that we're more confident in Tennessee hitting their head on the ceiling at eleven and one, being unable to beat Georgia, rather than falling to eight and four, nine and three consistently? Because I'm in that boat. Well, I'm you saying this boat. season specifically? Are you saying or? during the no, hypo era? Just during the hypo era, they like based off of what we've seen, they are closer to hitting their head on the ceiling, being unable to beat Georgia at eleven and one, than they are. Eight and four, nine and three. Oh, Ryan, do you want to make the YouTuber? This is gonna. I can't wait to clip this. This is gonna piss off some I, people based on this answer. I mean, based on what we see, the way Jack phrased that, he's absolutely right. Let me watch two seasons of someone other than Hinton Hooker playing quarterback because that's what we'll figure out. We'll figure out if Hinton Hooker raised Josh Heupel in Tennessee to a level that they were not able to sustain, and he was just that special of a player, or to what every. Florida, Georgia, Alabama fan, NFL draft scout, NFL draft expert. I work for PFF, and I think Anthony Richardson's the best player in the draft. Clowns out there that say, "Oh, he's just a system quarterback." That's what we'll figure out. Is and that not that's not him. It's not a system quarterback if Joe Milton and Nico play well. But that's kind of to me the big question there. I think you're right. Based on what we see, it's more likely they get to that 11 at one point. Uh, but Hinton Hooker was really, really good at quarterback and. I think it's a possibility that he raised Tennessee above what uh, their standard will be under Josh Heupel. So you're more apt to put in your chips in the Hind- in the Hinden pile than the Heupel pile as far as what, why they were no. able to do what they did. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would. I, I would say Heupel is. I would put it more into Heupel overall. But I mean, when you're talking about again, last year. It's not a huge sample size, but last year was an outlier of what Josh Eiffel has done in his coaching career. And they've had really good offenses and good quarterbacks. And I think that will continue to be the case. But there's just, it just, there's so many things that Hendon Hooker was so good at. Tennessee never kicked field goals in the red zone. Again, good offensive line, good run game. Never did. The margins to win these games are so small sometimes, especially last year. And if the end, if the defense doesn't get, continue to get better, that Hendon did so many things so well that it easily elevated a team that could have been nine and three, eight, probably not easily eight and four, but could have been eight and four to what they end up were being in, in 10 and two in orange bowl champs. I think it ultimately comes down to Nico. It's unfair, but I do look at this year as a gap year and I mm-hmm. hope Nico doesn't That's have it. to play. And, and the defense, and you are Jack, to your point there, it does feel like defense one, one year away from really having the dudes in there to take a big step forward. Sorry, chance yep. to cut you off. No, that. That's fair, and I also think that's the other part of this, is it's Nico, and then if they don't close on any offensive tackles, 
another cycle. They don't close on the five-star defensive. Like, if they miss out on Fountain, Franklin, and Winery, after all is said and done, it's fair for fans to be like, ooh, this is you got to start closing on some of these. This was not a problem with the last two staffs like this. They had all kinds of other problems, but that was not one of them, especially early on. That was a, uh, that was not a thing, but we'll see. I think yeah, right I now, Heupel deserves the benefit of the doubt. I just, let's see how the season goes. I think this is going to be a very curious season. And then let me see what Nico looks like for a full year. Let's see what yeah, can... a, a vamp, a revamp defense. They'll be in the blue chip ratio next year. That's what fans also need to understand. They'll be in the blue chip ratio based on their percentages going into next year. Then we'll see. Then it's fair to have those championship expectations. You're saying, let's see, this year, I can tell you, already, 2024 matters way more than 2023. But you don't want to go into 2024 limping. You don't want to be going like, you don't want to go in wounded like we got figured out. The roster will be a lot different. Like, like I don't want to blank it from last year. Do what? I don't want an Ole Miss year from last year. Like six and six. What were they? Eight. And, well, maybe they went eight and four. They go eight and four. They six no, and seven, seven and five. They lost the Egg Bowl to go seven and five. Okay. Yeah. They lost. They lost like five or five. And, and then they lost, they lost to Texas like Tech. Yeah. 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 Okay. Smoked by Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that. Freaking good this year. Yeah. You don't want that kind of thing. That kind of drop off. Because there's a lot of parallels to Lane and Heupel. There's a lot of parallels to what Ole Miss is and what Tennessee is. You Tennessee don't want to see that. that type of drama. Tennessee's not going to get blasted by an Arkansas-level team by, like, four touchdowns. It's just not going to happen. Not this Danny Enos Arkansas team, no. I don't think Danny Enos is going to play that style. I don't think they'd be able to keep up with uh, keep up with the balls in that in that regard. Uh, final Tennessee ba- uh, football question before we talk some baseball real quick. Freshman who plays the most snaps of anyone in 2023 will end up being who, Ryan? Oh, awesome. I get the answer first because me and Jack have the same answer. It's Arian Carter. And no hesitation there. No hesitation. None at all. I mean, maybe you hope that one of the freshman corners, Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson, becomes that guy. Yeah. But I'm going to have to see Willie Martinez play the talented youngsters over the experienced guys that aren't going to give up bust before I believe that's going to happen. So mm. I think Arian Carter's a stud. I think he's really good. And I think he's going to be into two deep from day one at linebacker and I've said it on here before, but linebacker is one of the positions I'm, I'm most intrigued about uh, with Tennessee this this year. What about you, Jack? Is that the same answer? Aaron Carter's the answer, but I'll pivot and talk about a couple other guys. Look at the corners. Ryan mentioned it a little bit. Yeah. yeah, if there's a lot of injuries, which Tennessee's had problems with injuries at corner and DB, Ricky Gibson and uh, Jordan Matthews think they could provide a lot for Tennessee this year, especially Ricky Gibson. I came out of spring thinking he was ahead of Matthews in that regard. So I think we could see Gibson get quite a bit of snaps if there's injuries for sure. And then on the offensive side of the ball, man, Ethan Davis had a heck of a That was my answer. I think Ethan Davis is going to play. Stud. He just passed the eye test in flying colors. And I know he had the shoulder injury in the spring game, but he should be fine for the start of the season. And man, he could really bring another aspect to Tennessee's offense. Talk about McAllen Castles and Jacob Warren having to chip and block all the time. Mm-hmm. Let Ethan Davis eat in the field, man. That guy is just a complete receiving tight end, and I'm really excited to see what he can do at Tennessee. He had the best catch be in the orange in one game. That Nico dimed yeah. to him over his shoulder. Like yeah. Ethan's going to be a player. Like I don't know if he'll block at all, but like this year, you just look at the depth. Like If Keenan Peely's healthy, like we're going to see a lot of Peely and Beasley. Like Beasley came on down the stretch. Like Beasley was really, really good uh, for Tennessee, especially in the Clemson mm-hmm. game. Like he was yeah, even he, getting after the quarterback. Still having nightmares. About yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he he's a legitimate player, and like they're going to play a lot, and they should play a lot. But Peely's coming off injuries. I wonder if Arian fills in there more than P, uh, than Beasley. I don't know. Um, Arian's a good pick. Um, Gibson's a good pick. I think John Slaughter's probably a sneaky buy low guy. Because they were all pretty high on him in December, and Ryan, with your McCullough talk, if McCullough's bad and they don't want to go to Turrentine or injuries, like John Slaughter might be in a sneaky good spot to see the field sooner rather than later. Um, he's probably probably another dark horse for me, but we'll see. I think Ethan Davis well, though ends up getting the most snaps of any true freshman on this team. Talk about talk about the linebacker. I mean, Elijah yeah. Herring's going to see a lot of snaps too. So well, he's a sophomore, right? Yeah, yeah but I'm yeah. Just, yeah. as far as Arian Carter not getting. A whole yeah. lot of snaps. That's Elijah true. Herring's going to be in the mix too. A lot. I feel like. Yeah, Elijah Herring probably. was a guy I considered for that second year question too. Uh, the guys we didn't talk about, he would probably be the next the next one up. I'm I'm high on him. 
that's fair. Um, we'll wrap with some quick false baseball. Uh, Cannon Peebles, um, some amazing baseball names. Cannon Peebles, <laughs> Nate Sneed, who I swear was a third-string Texas quarterback from like 2007. Um, some great names here. And then Billy Amick, like just Billy Amick from the 1930s Chicago Black Sox. Like uh, just a lot of, a lot of names here. But um, Amick's still a possibility. We'll see what ultimately happens there. But what are the Vols getting in Cannon Peebles and Nate Sneed, Ryan? Uh, well, Cannon Peebles are getting a dude that rakes and <laughs> is fantastic, fantastic hitter. Really, really good. North Carolina State's best uh, hitter last year as a freshman. Switch hitter. Hits it well from both sides. Tennessee fans will be relieved to hear. Hits lefties really well. Obviously, that's a, an emphasis for this offseason is to add some right-handed bats and especially just people that can hit left-handed uh, pitching better. I think he's solid defensively, but the bat's really the thing that will carry today for him to know about him. And with Nate Sneed, uh, I think it's a guy that is going to be in the competition to be a weekend starter. If you made me bet right now, I think he's probably one of their better bullpen guys, uh, at least for next year. But again, I think what Wait, maybe stands Bernsey out. out the who's the three? I thought he was a penciled-in guaranteed weekend starter. I don't think that. I mean, I think he'll be in the competition, and maybe if they don't land some other guys, he might be mm. a favorite going in. But there's going to be competition there. I mean, you talk about charting it out, and I'm the biggest A.J. Russell fan in the world. I'm not putting a Sharpie in of A.J. Russell even being a weekend starter next year. Mm. It's going to be competition there all fall and into the preseason. So, uh, But what I, was, I guess I was saying, the thing that really stands out about both these guys uh, that I think you have to like a lot is that they're just freshmen. They have two more. We're just freshmen. They have two more years or even uh, draft eligible. And uh, Sneed, an upper 90s fastball, touched 100 a few times last year. Really good curveballs to breaking uh, the off-speed pitch. Um, and they'll try to add a little bit to that, make him a little more than a two-pitch guy. But really talented, and uh, I think a guy that's going to be really good for Tennessee for two years. What do you think, Jack? What, what are you most excited about with those two? Definitely Kane and Peebles. I mean, it mm. solidifies a position that has been the biggest question mark for Tennessee in the past two seasons. I mean, Evan Russell obviously going left field to catcher. That was bumpy ride a little bit. And then last year was the worst it, catcher's position has been for Tennessee in a handful of years. So solidified the position. You, you got to be a little bit more specific. Uh, oh. <laughs> that was, that anyway, was for Ryan. It was, There's one Cal Star defender in the world. It was an absolute. It was the biggest, the biggest win in the world for Tennessee was when Christian Scott would get on base with with two outs so that Cal Stark did not have to lead off the next inning. That was the biggest win for Tennessee in every game. I'm going to not say anything here. Chase, I, res- I appreciate that because it's too late for me to hear your slander. And I'll say, look, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you Cal Stark was, was a good hitter last season. I'm not going to do that. But at least he understood how he needed to get on base. And he got Being on base... Team. Not at a high rate, but at a respectable rate in the NCAA tournament. With seemingly <laughs> getting two hits the whole entire tournament. But he walked a lot, competitive at bats, hit by pitches. Uh, who was, hey, it was an got- LSU, I think, was the team that had the philosophy. It's like, if the ball is, you're, you do not move if the ball's thrown at you. Cal mm-hmm. Stark, he took that personally. And know, know your hey. role, know what you need to do. And he knew what he needed to do. And he was, Couple of- again, good defensively. He was very good of, defensively. He deserves credit there. He was very good defensively. A couple of times in that uh, Super Regional, like he didn't get called for it, but Cal Stark's elbow did get inch in a little bit to where he could get plunked. But I mean, that's what he should have been doing. Like every, yeah. like every at bat, like him and Christian Scott should have both on opposite sides of the plate, like just inching in as close as you can. To, like, I mean, he got hit he fifteen times this season. So it's a go. it's a shame how quickly people forget his nine pitch walk where he fouled off. Three two-strike pitches against Southern Miss to turn a three-run four-finning into a six-run four-finning for That's Tennessee. That's fair. People forget season-changing at bat right there. Season-changing at bat for Tennessee. Um, But, yeah, Peebles is a huge win for Tennessee. He's going to be a really good offensive piece. You know, I don't... I haven't watched enough NC State baseball games to know how good he is defensively. I've read about it, and he seems pretty okay. Maybe not to the level of Cal Stark, but Cal Stark was far from perfect, too. So, I mean, with his offense, though, you're going to take that every day of the week, getting him. And then um, Nate Sneed, just another arm in this bullpen. He may win the starting job. We'll see. I think Tennessee's not done, obviously, in the transfer portal, getting pitchers. So, we'll see if he's in that competition and if he can win the job. But, yeah, high velo. He's going to get developed, as Ryan said, and Props to Chase 
for knowing this abstract Texas quarterback, Javon Sneed, who played at Texas and lost the job to Colt McCoy and then transferred to Ole Miss. That is the biggest round of applause I can give someone in this entire calendar year. He was really good. He was really good at Ole Miss. I I completely forgot that he went to Texas originally. Great book, Meat Market by Bruce Feldman. Uh, I don't know if either of y'all have read this, but he follows I have the making Ole Miss. of a quarterback by him. I didn't know. Okay. He follows, he goes inside the Ole Miss recruiting scene for a year when Ed Orgeron is there. And Javon Sneed was one of their, Javon Sneed and Steven Garcia were their two biggest targets. They didn't land either of them, but. Uh, Not a Jeremiah Masoli year? That reference flew right over my head. Uh, Brent Schaefer? Brent Schaefer, I know that one. I know that one. Brent Schaefer would have been electric in today's college football. Bo Wallace would have been electric. And in any video game. Chad Kelly? Swag Kelly in today? Swag Kelly. And while we're on the Ole Miss quarterback topic, going back to Joe Milton, I could very much see him having like a Bo Wallace type season where Mm. he's overall like very good or good, above average. Everyone's happy with him, but he has like that one or two games where he's just like inexplicably bad. When you said the thing of like, if Tennessee goes eight and four, they lost some games in ways they shouldn't have. Yes, that's how that happens, in my opinion. Yeah, it's Sorry, at Florida. Back to Tennessee baseball. Let's just go ahead and say it. it's at Florida. <laughs> that's when it happens. Like we all know this. Like every Tennessee fan yeah. doesn't want to say this, but we all know this is happening. Like I've already penciled it in. Like you could pay me two grand to go to Florida this year for the game and like fifty yard line up close. No, I'm not <sighs> doing it. Like I wouldn't. You could pay me whatever. I'm not going. I'm like Magic Johnson. I'm not gonna be there. I won't be there. Yeah, I don't even want to watch it. Like, I don't even want to watch it. I'm out. Uh, the Magic Johnson <laughs> reference, already great. A little bit right there. The Magic Johnson reference. Yeah. I love one of my all-time favorite videos. That threw me over the edge. I watched that live. It was it was pretty, like, just an all-time great. I'm not going to be there. Um, be but, yeah, that's, that's me watching, or me being in Gainesville in the Swamp for Tennessee, Florida this fall. Couldn't pay me. Couldn't do it. There's just not a... Like, you put me on field passes. Like, you're just... I'm right there. Uh, no. I'd be throwing up on the sidelines. Like, you'd see me on national television. Like, what's Chase doing? He's pacing. He's turned around. He's refusing. Like, he's just refusing to watch the game. He's not watching the last three minutes. Like, he just... It's like Camden it. Sewell in the dugout of a big Tennessee baseball game. Yes. Also, shot to Camden Sewell. Like, his ending yeah. and, like, how much Tennessee meant to him. Love Cam Sewell. Love Cam Sewell. Now, he grew up a diehard Florida fan, too. Is he? Yeah. Well, yeah, he, he and his dad he's were. He's not now, but he, he yeah. grew up one, yeah. yeah he's the Is Gator he from killer Cleveland, now, Tennessee? Cleveland, Tennessee, yeah. The, no, thing, the story country. goes, he had literally had a Florida, like his house key, I don't know what the thing would be, had Florida stuff on it, and then the day he committed, he went and got, got another key. Florida huh. bed sheets, all this stuff, threw it all out the day he, wow. day he committed. Like, die, diehard Florida fan. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It think, really is. Um, oh, I was going to say one quick thing on the baseball thing. We were at. Is Zane, do you think Zane's back? Have you heard anything on Zane? Do you think he's back? I think it's a possibility, uh, and we'll see what happens with the draft. Uh, but I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if he's back. I think that one's very up in the air. And what's hmm. fascinating is how heavy and I think how successful they're going to end up recruiting infield. Uh, I, if he's back, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at second base and, and Christian Moore is at a corner outfield spot. Oh, Ooh. especially if they get Billy Amick. They get Billy Amick. Uh, third base, the Ryan Galloney kid at Wofford, who's the third baseman. I think they're in really good spot with him. So, I mean, they're in good spot with a handful of uh, a handful of transfer infielders. So, obviously, that's all hearsay and looking way too far out. But that's kind of the best guys that are recruiting in the portal, besides the pitchers. Best position players are all infielders. Hmm. That would be interesting. I don't know what that means for one of the outfielders if Christian Moore gets bumped to the outfield. That could be interesting. KT full time DH. I guess, guess. Tears would be a yeah. DH no matter what, right? Like right. I think that's the plan. Like you want him to be there. He could maybe play in right field, but yeah, I think if everything goes ideally, I mean, if there's anywhere KT could play in right field, it's Lindsey Nelson Stadium because not a lot of ground to cover, and his arm is no bones about good. it, really, really good. Probably the best outfield arm of anyone Tennessee has on the team. Mm-hmm. I like it. We, we'll end on this. The percentage points that a uh, friend of the pod, Austin Price, hates for recruiting. Uh, Ryan, the your three-man opening day rotation for Tennessee baseball as it stands right now, who do you think it's going to be? Uh, well, Drew Beam, obviously. Friday? And, 
Yeah, I think he will be. I was of the opinion that if Chase Burns had come back, that I think like you just keep him in, on in Sunday because mm-hmm. he's so good there. But I think he will be the guy that you just have the most confidence in by a pretty good bit uh, going into the season. So I'll say him on Friday, A.J. Russell on Saturday. And the safe bet as of right now would probably be Snead. But I'm going to go with my guy. I'm going to – Jack probably knows – when I say my guy, Jack probably knows where I'm going with this. Wyatt Evans. I'm a huge Wyatt Evans guy. Obviously, mm. he was injured this year. Do I – you know, do I think there's an over 50% chance Wyatt Evans is going to be Tennessee's uh, – if we're going to play the percentages game, it's going to be Tennessee's a weekend starter to start the year? No, but in this scenario of what we know is on the roster next year, uh, I'll give him uh, some love and make him my Sunday pick. Okay. So it was Wyatt and you said AJ too? Yeah, AJ. Okay. I – I'd be surprised if AJ's not. Again, it's going to be competition. He's going to have to earn it, but man, is he? Is I think he's really good. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Jack, what can the good folks check out from you? The team over there, always college football, and on Rocky Top Insider this week. Yeah, um, always college football took a one-week vacay this week, mm-hmm. but we'll be back next week with two shows, and I will be head producer for those two shows as okay. our producer. Woo-woo! Is out of town, so you actually see me make my on-camera ESPN college football debut next oh, week. So that's exciting. Asking that's very cool. GMAC the mailbag questions and introducing our superlatives. So that'll be fun. And then over at Rocky Top Insider, just the good old off-season content. And we got media days here in a couple weeks. This is the driest it gets all year for Tennessee athletics these couple weeks. But media days will be here before we know it, and then it's just a roller coaster from then on out. So. There you go. Ryan, what about you over on Rocky Top Insider this week? Anything new? Yeah, I mean, Jack summed it up pretty good, but we'll have all the Tennessee baseball uh, transfer portal and, and offseason yeah, stuff. Is I assume it'll be uh, busy for a while and then busy straight into the uh, MLB draft, too. You're coming up in about a week and a half now, so we'll have all that. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a busy month for Tennessee football recruiting. We'll have stuff to keep everybody up to date on that. And, like Jack said, it'll probably slow down for a little bit in July, and uh, then August starts, and the, the ten and a half month sprint begins again. There you go. I can't wait. I don't care. I'm gonna be ludicrous in the Virginia weekend. I'm gonna be ridiculous for the first home game. I'm gonna be ridiculously ludicrous. I am going to be ridiculously ludicrous. Just how insane I'm gonna be when that first. Uh, First LaCroix pops open on that fine Saturday afternoon um, for a Tennessee home game. It's going to be great. I'm excited. Uh, Ryan, Jack, thank you as always for the time, and I'll talk to you all very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.